Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. I hope you're doing well wherever you are, whatever your circumstances are, what's going on in your neighborhood. I hope things are getting better for you. It's been a while since we talked about the news on this show, and there have been some big developments in the world of Trek news, so we'll have to have a news update soon on the show. I'm thinking next week, because I don't want to wait until another supplemental episode, so maybe we'll do a uh, 2.5 episode or something similar, because there are things we need to talk about, so stay tuned for that. If you didn't catch last week's episode, I suggest you do. I was joined once again by New York Times bestselling author Kat Valenti, which was exciting, and we talked about one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, The Game. I always enjoy talking with Kat, and we got to talk about The Game thanks to her brother, Nick, who's a Star Trek fan, and he suggested the episode, so thanks, Nick. If you enjoy our show, you haven't followed us on social media yet, why not? You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EISTPOD. Follow us, join the conversation. You can chat with us live and other Star Trek and sci-fi fans on the Just Enough Trope Discord. There's a link in the show notes. This week, we've got something a little different. Ever since the debut of Lower Decks on CBS All Access, and really for years before that, I've wondered, is Star Trek funny? Lower Decks is, of course, an animated series and really the first expressly comedic series in the Star Trek franchise. And we all know that Data's good for a laugh, uh, maybe Q or Quark, all the Q-based characters. But can Star Trek really be funny? Without Joe Piscopo, I mean, obviously. The creators of Trek, and fans too, myself included, love to tote the socially conscious aspect of the Trek franchise, often citing how important it is from a cultural perspective. But can it, you know, make with the haha? I wouldn't often describe a moving piece on civil rights or the futility of war as patently hilarious. Maybe comedy isn't Star Trek's mission, but can we be sure about that? I asked myself that question, and, you know, I honestly couldn't get a straight answer out of myself. So I went in search of an expert, and I found one in J.M. McNabb. J.M. is a writer and a comedian. He's worked for the comedy website Cracked for many years as a comedian and an essayist, and is generally a very funny person. And together we tried to determine if Trek, as an institution of cultural significance, has any shot at getting a chuckle out of you. It's a great and, guess what, very funny discussion. I hope you enjoy it. In the meantime, check us out on social media. And if you want to support the show and help it grow, find us at patreon.com forward slash E-I-S-T-P-O-D. Grab your whoopee cushion, work on your K sounds, and with that, let's get underway. My guest on the show today is J.M. McNabb. J.M. is a comedian and a writer for Crack.com and the Daily Zeitgeist podcast on the iHeartRadio network. He's also one of the hosts of Rewatchability, a comedy podcast that revisits your favorite movies and TV shows of yesteryear. J.M., welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you here. I always ask new guests to the show how they first became Star Trek fans. How did you first discover Star Trek? Oh, well, I, was, uh, I came to Star Trek through TNG. Yeah. I was a kid when it was sort of first starting. So I think I hopped on in sort of like maybe the third or fourth season and then started watching along, like watching it live on TV. And uh, it was a great time to be a Star Trek fan. It was it was kind of everywhere, uh, at least yeah. in, in my sphere of, <laughs> of like-minded kids. And, and you know, I we, we would go to 
Star Trek conventions and, you know, back when they were out in the, you know, the airport hotels. Yeah, right, uh, right. <laughs> uh, and it just kind of grew from there. I, I've, you know, watched most of the other series and seen all the movies and, and everything. But for me, that, yeah, that entry point, those years of watching TNG will always be the the nearest and dearest Star Trek experience for me. Trying to explain to people nowadays the kind of ratings that Star Trek The Next Generation got back in the 80s, oh. like even for a syndicated show, like it's it's crazy. Like, you know, Dancing with the Stars will do like a half to like three quarters of what like an average TNG episode was doing. Like right. everybody <laughs> was watching it and had like just such mass appeal. And it wasn't, of course, there's a lot more things on now and people's interests are so focused specifically. But yeah, like everybody was watching it. Yeah, I, even like uh, I'm in Toronto in Canada and for the final episode, they had a big uh, screening at the Sky Dome, which is where, uh, oh. where the Blue Jays play. Yeah. And so and all these people came in costume and watched. Uh, I didn't go because it seemed like a, a terrible place to watch a TV show. <laughs> but, they, you know, they played it on the Jumbotron there for all these fans. And and uh, it was a big deal. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty cool, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I could have done that. Um, you are probably a, are you a Star Wars fan? Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm also a Star Wars fan, though. I, Trek definitely came to me first. Like yeah. I, I, like I said, I watched, I watched uh, Star Trek when I was younger, and and continued to do so. And then Star Wars, I, you know, around the time of the special editions, I think is when I got into that. Oh sure, yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, movies have like this, you know, advertising budget and they get pushed on you. And so when I was young, like I wasn't allowed to go to movies until I was somewhat older. And mm -hmm. so I would hear about, you know, what Han Solo and uh, Luke Skywalker did this and Darth Vader's doing that. And I was home just watching Star Trek, which also had an appeal. But, but the kids never wanted to play Star Trek on the playground. They only wanted to play Star Wars. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, come on, kids. You don't want to discover strange new worlds? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of sitting in Star Trek. Yeah, we're just going to sit down on that rock and this rock. And yeah, we just look in this direction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How, how'd you get started in comedy? Uh, well, I, I started writing uh, for Cracked. Well, I guess I started doing the podcast first. And, uh, mm. and I started doing the podcast just for fun. And, uh, and we're still going. Uh, with rewatchability, I you know people still listen, so we still do it. <laughs> and then I started writing for Cracked, uh, contributing to it in 2013, I think. And, okay, uh, and then kept going from there. And uh, I, yeah, I, I haven't done a lot of uh, comedy outside of writing. Yeah, uh, I I tried stand up comedy once, and it went really yeah. well. And I'm so insecure that I stopped doing it. Okay. After that, okay. <laughs> I did it once and it went well. So I thought, oh, well, I, if I if I stop doing Nailed it now, it. I'll have 100% success yep. rate. Uh, and then, Was this in uh, Toronto? In Toronto, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I started writing for the Daily Zeitgeist uh, with Jack, who uh, ran Cracked and, and hosted the Cracked podcast. And uh, sure. Yeah, and I'm still doing that. Yeah, it's, you know, the Daily Zeitgeist is just that for people that don't know. It's a daily podcast that covers the news of the day through a comedic lens. And it's hosted by two people who read the news. But as a writer for the show, what, what's your contribution to that? Uh, well, I, you know, I find, uh, you know, stories uh, of the day. I, I usually try to find uh, 
a, a way in that's a little different than just kind of, you know, reciting what happened, like maybe it's finding background information or a bit more research. And sometimes sure. I write little jokes. It's, it's hard to, you know, it's a very conversational podcast. Yeah. So like, I think more like when it first started, it, it was, you know, I was trying to write more like jokes for for jack yes, to say right. yeah <laughs> uh or or miles but uh you know and sometimes that uh, permeates through because i can't help but sort of write in a comedic voice but you know th- they do the heavy lifting i i do very little in terms of uh in terms of writing but they're always very generous with uh with giving me credit and and yeah. uh, shouting me out they're they're honestly i actually got to meet them for the first time ever because i'm in canada yeah and they did a tour uh earlier this year um, so i went on the show and i i got to meet them for the first time ever and they just really are, are not only funny but just the nicest people uh some of the nicest people i've met in my life for sure that's really great. Not Star Trek fans, though. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, I know. Uh, I got to see them when they were in Minneapolis, too. And, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, the show was really great. You know, I'd imagine that until maybe 20, 25 years ago, the job of comedy writer w- had gone relatively unchanged since, like, the introduction of television. You're either a stand-up comic or you're a comedy writer for TV or the radio or you're writing, like, humor and satire for publications. And then the Internet comes along and totally changes the ways that we make people laugh and the ways that we work in comedy and writing. Like you yourself are in Toronto and you're like, hey, I met my bosses for the first time the other week. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just like totally, it's totally different. I'm trying to imagine explaining to somebody who works in like Sid Caesar's writing room, like what it's going to be like in the future. And like yeah. Cracked, one of the sites that you write for is the perfect example of that. Like the way that it's adapted is like the Darwin's evolution chart where the monkey turns into the caveman. You know, it goes from being like a knockoff of Mad Magazine to a comedy website with articles to publishing listicles and comedy essays to producing sketch videos and long-running series like it's and all in the space of just you know like a decade or two oh yeah sure yeah i i mean i yeah i used to read <laughs> i used to read the magazine like yeah back, <laughs> back in the day yeah if if they were all out of mad I, you know yeah yeah what else can yeah. you do <laughs> i always read mad because you know like i said before about the movies like i couldn't go to return of the jedi and so if mad was doing a return of the jedi parody that's how i would like process and absorb what happens in the movie through the jokes that they would tell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, kind of weird, but uh, here we are now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. You know, that's the great thing about parody is that like certainly a lot of like adult movies or movies that I wasn't necessarily seeing would be parodied and, you know, mad and cracked. And it makes kids feel included. It makes you feel like a part of the conversation, even when it's not something that you're able to digest yet at that age. Yeah, terrible example. Like I'd never seen um, Basic Instinct. Uh, yeah. I might have seen it now, but but I saw Loaded Weapon, National Lampoon's Loaded oh, yeah. Weapon One, and so I had to sort of like track the parody of the joke to like, oh, this is what's happening in the film. I get it. Gratuitous yeah. <laughs> beaver shot. Got it. Got it. Um, Content's king on the internet, uh, and it's one thing to have an office of comedy writers or freelancers sending in material, but now, you know, you've got sketch writers on staff, you've got directors, you've got film crew, you know, it's a big jump. Uh, there's a reason that McSweeney's hasn't become the next Funny or Die. Right. <laughs> yeah, McSweeney's, yeah, I forgot about them. They're, they're, yeah, they're, I think a lot of people around, forgot about them, but they're still yeah. around. Yeah, they're, they're yeah, still totally. doing it. Yeah, they, I think I have some, like, physical McSweeney's issues somewhere. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Probably with my cracked magazines. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what gets to me too, as far as like content being king, is that like the internet's like everybody. 
Like, it's not just, you know, there's an advertising demographic you're aiming for, I'm sure, but your online audience isn't like people who have walked into a comedy club looking for comedy jokes or people who have picked up a cracked magazine. It's potentially everyone. So you can write Mm -hmm. and shoot, you know, an amazing, funny and clever sketch and get 2,500 views. But two kids listening to Phil Collins get 25 million views. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, uh, you know, part of the fun of, of, doing the kinds of of comedy writing I've been lucky enough to do is a lot of the time, you know, you're not writing about things that are innately funny or, you know, you usually have like a thesis or, you know, Mm -hmm. a a point you're trying to drive across, but you're doing it in sort of, you know, through the prism of comedy uh, and, and, but hopefully, you know, delivering a larger message. I mean, are you trying to reach the broadest audience possible when you're writing about Star Wars droids or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, you know, you never know. I, I mean, ultimately, like, in terms of pop culture stuff uh, that I've done, like, I, I, I try to expand my horizons because I know that, you know, I have certainly a limited palette compared to, like, the world or the potential audience. But, you know, ultimately, like, I do indulge my own sort of tastes. Like, I've, I've definitely written a lot about Star Trek and Star Wars and things like that. And, you know, there are... <laughs> so many fans of those things that uh, that they certainly aren't out of place. Yeah. Well, I mean, just writing for pop culture fans and specifically Star Wars sci-fi fantasy fans, it can be an exercise in extreme precision. You know, God help you if you forget which color of kryptonite does what or that the shield generator was on the forest moon of Endor right. and not Endor <laughs> itself. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. No, totally. And, you know, I... I when I do get called out for like a, a nitpicky thing or, or something on <laughs> yeah. the, you know, for writing or in the, in the podcast or something like, I try not to, you know, uh, be annoyed about that because I, I feel like I have the same thing if I'm listening to a podcast or reading something and they say something wrong and I have that, you know, nerdy backlash impulse to, to want to correct it. I, I feel like, I don't think I've ever, you know, written into anywhere or, or taken that much effort to correct it, but I, I understand the impulse, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you wrote recently, um, about, um, fan culture uh, specifically about Roger Ebert's criticism of extreme fandom. Oh these yeah. Are the, these are the fans who camp out for the movie tickets. They have an armory full of lightsabers at home. Um, and I don't always agree with Roger Ebert. I'm not sure I agree 100% uh, with him when he says that fandom is a security blanket for the socially inept. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I'm harsh, but I have to, I have to agree. And he's, that, he's basically a professional fan. Like the, that's, that's true. That's literally what he does. And talking about them. Yeah. Uh, I have to agree that fandom uh, has become an identity for a lot of people in the way that being, you know, a Browns fan or being a steel worker or something would have been in earlier eras. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that uh, in terms because I was thinking about my, you know, being a Star Trek fan before coming on on the show, and I and I was thinking about those Star Trek conventions. I mean, like, oh yeah, those don't really happen now because like the sort of co- big comic convention we have here is is like the fan expo brand, which is yeah. just like if you're a fan, you come to this. So it's it's kind of I guess it consolidates a lot of different fandoms and and a lot of you know diverse communities, which is great. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, like I do, <laughs> I do in a way miss that uh, that appeal of like the Star Trek convention where it's it's like one thing. It's in, you know, a depressing hotel you have to drive 45 minutes outside <laughs> of town to. Yeah. Uh, like, there was something like kind of great about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just you and your friends sitting on rocks steering in one direction. 
Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, I didn't agree with Ebert on his uh, on his <laughs> fan fandom thing. And also, like, it was especially weird because it was this kind of, he went on this long kind of rant about fandom and it was a review of the movie Fanboys, it, yeah. which was just kind of like a harmless comedy about Star Wars fans. Like, yeah, I, I yeah. don't really understand what prompted him to, to be so enraged by it. He just had had enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that movie, too, like, that took a long time to come out and I can't remember why. Like, they made it. And it some for some reason was just stuck in development or something, and then I don't think it actually came out until, because it's about like the Phantom Menace, right? It didn't yeah, come out until, it was like, about after the Phantom Menace. Uh, I I I remember I I reviewed it a long time ago for a, an entirely different publication, I think. And yeah. the story I'd heard was it was it was about like some friends trying to sneak into uh, Lucasfilm to get a copy of Phantom Menace. Right. Right. And because one of their friends was terminally ill and like wouldn't survive until the release. Yeah. And I, the version I'd heard of what happened with that movie was that the early cut was a bit more like leaning into the sort of pathos of it or, you know, sure. having it be like a sentimental uh, character based story. Um, and then the studio wanted it to be more wacky and, you know, teen more, comedy like. More Kristen Bell in the Slave Leia bikini. Right, exactly. And then the, the version we ultimately saw was kind of just like a mix of the two, which is yeah. why it feels kind of like, yeah, tonally quite off at points. From what I remember, I haven't seen it in years. Man, like fans commenting on fandom and works about fandom is a totally different show that we could do, but right. not the yeah, one that we're doing totally. today. Um, I just want to ask you, like as a as a writer for uh, the Daily Zeitgeist, which is you know it's nominally a political show. Um, I don't know what your like political affiliations are, but lots of stuff's been happening, you know, in the last year, last four years. Is it like a content mine? While the world is falling apart, are you finding yourself with a lot of stuff to offer up to appear on the show? I don't, I, I, some people might find that I don't, there's always something going on in in the day. It's it's hard not to find things, but yeah. Yeah. It's also, yeah, it's just, (laughs) it's, it's, you know, I, I've never talked to the the guys uh, who run the show about this, but I, 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 you know, it's, it's a comedy podcast, but it's also a news podcast. Yeah. Which, and a culture. You know, yeah. A culture. Podcast, it, yeah. You're called. Yeah. So it is, it's hard to, uh, yeah, it's hard to, you know, sometimes I just step out of the way when it's like, you know, there's news to be discussed and it's very dire and you know, right. I, there's not necessarily a, a comedic spin on it, but you know, then I, you know, it, I feel like I can always find, you know, something, uh, you know, a, Taco Bell commercial about something stupid that we <laughs> yeah, can talk right. about for 10 minutes at the end <laughs> yeah. or, you know something like that but you know they do a really good job of uh of of finding ways to to break down the the news and you know we also are, are living a time where there's just so much news like there's constantly you know you know there's cable news and nightly news and then you've got twitter which is just kind of bombarding you with opinions and 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 news stories throughout the day and night it's it's a lot yeah i just remember like the earlier days of the show and things like uh, segments like bloyd watch uh Mm -hmm. which were fun but have kind of been stripped away as we enter the apocalypse or wherever it is we're going that's why you know i i I, things like star trek are like a nice break because it's it's the complete you know it's the political fantasy of of you know 
a utopia. They, I mean, you, you can break it down and find, you know, some logistical flaws in, in the way they present, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> present that utopia for sure. But it can be, you know, I, I found like thinking about it now because I was rewatching some TNG for this and I was thinking about the times that I've watched TNG in recent years because I don't watch it all the time, even though I, I'm a huge fan of it. I, I think that the times I've watched it most recently are when I've needed something of comfort, you know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's the nostalgia thing, but it's also just like the, the space that the show that that particular Star Trek show inhabits is a very, is a very comforting one. And, and I find that I use the show as, as kind of like a therapy at times. Yeah. Uh, yeah I've heard that a, a lot. I, I find that as I watch it, like as the years go on, uh, and we get farther and farther away from the moment in which it was created, I find it more and more, <laughs> more and more sort of jejun from like a socio-political standpoint. And I know that they weren't trying to change the world or start a revolution or anything, but um, people think of it as being very inspiring and, and thinking uh, and dealing with tough social issues. And the older I get, the the more I realize how complicated those social issues are yeah, yeah and it's and it's you know it's all well and good to put a guy in pajamas and have him just talk everybody into agreeing and then we can just fly off somewhere else so as trek <laughs> has moved into the 21st century um i really want to see it and we're way off the topic of comedy which we'll get back to but i, I really want to see it try to engage more with these like tough issues because everybody is much more i think politically and socially aware and can handle that sort of thing and handle, I think, big discussions and tough decisions uh, in the, in their entertainment. Like, they will go to entertainment for that. But that being said, yeah, I mean, it is nice to see a bald guy just fix everybody's problems. That is nice. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, totally. I I think that, yeah, when you, when you take a few minutes to actually, like, break down what the Federation is and like how how they operate and how they they have this like human supremacy yeah they kind of of do (laughs) yeah like it it becomes quickly problematic but uh but but still it is it is like you know it, it is a show that that can be very uh yeah, just like you, like you said, you know that things are going to be fixed by the end of the show. I mean, the the Picard show was kind of the taking things, I'd argue, too far in the other direction, like adding mm-hmm. nuances of realism and and sort of real world problems, but yeah. but kind of bombarding the show with an entirely different tone. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a totally different conversation. Well, it's a Star Trek conversation. So you're okay, in the yeah. Place. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining me today. Uh, you know, I haven't had anybody hard agree with me on this yet, but as much as I love Star Trek, I don't think it's really all that funny, at least not intentionally. Mm. And I'm not 100% sure why that is, but I have a few theories. Yeah, I, you know, you, when you suggested this topic, I hadn't even really thought about it that much, cause, which is weird because I, so uh you know associate my life with with comedy and being a fan of comedy and yeah. and at the time when i first got into star trek like you know comedy was everything like the biggest thing in my life before star trek came along was probably like monty python <laughs> sure. uh, so it, it's weird that i never really like interrogated that idea that maybe maybe star trek isn't funny and <laughs> and i never thought about it that hard until you, until you brought it up yeah. And I don't know why I started thinking about it, except I've just been doing this show for a long time. 
and I wouldn't call myself a full on comedy nerd, but um, I do like certain comedians and I do kind of follow comedy and it's just struck me in a weird way. And as a primetime show, that's, you know, it's a genre show, but like we talked about before, it's a family show. Lots of people watched it. It had a wide appeal. It has to be at least humorous sometimes, you know, to have that four quadrant appeal, but it's not actually like laugh out loud, funny, like funny, funny. And it's weird because other genre shows seem to have no trouble getting laughs. Like you got your Buffy's, uh, your mm-hmm. Doctor Who's, you know, Farscape is often hilarious. Um, and those shows have drama and they do all the sci-fi stuff and they're often really funny and they can pull off like comedy episodes. Like this episode is just going to be like a goofy comedy episode. I My theory as to why that is, is that the the central premise of Star Trek is so kind of silly and ridiculous like you said it's I, th- I thought you were going a different way okay please keep going you no know, it's it's an absurd premise like like you said it's people in their pajamas in basically a living room flying through space and fighting aliens or teaching aliens uh and it, it's 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 so kind of uh so kind of ridiculous when you break it down that the only way that it works as a story is if everyone in the story takes it all super seriously completely straight yeah so i think that if you had like a character even in like the original series who was like the wacky guy being like what are we you know what are we doing out here we can't be out here (laughs) yeah i i think that that would like burst the bubble a little bit like you need everyone to kind of commit to this uh vision of the future and i think that I, I know we'll probably talk about some examples of what works as, as comedy in Star Trek, but I think the best examples or the funniest examples that I could think of in, in, in Star Trek episodes were usually when someone is letting kind of the air out of those characters are kind of bringing them down a notch just a little bit, you know, sure. just kind of like chipping away at that uh, sort of stern, self-serious uh, demeanor. If sure. that makes sense. Yeah, it does. That's so, that's interesting. Just looking at it from sort of like a mechanical um, construction sort of viewpoint, like having, because one of the funniest Star Trek movies is Star Trek four, where our future characters you know, are the fish out of water in our world. And it's like, they don't know what a bus is or, or right. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but then when you do that on TNG and you bring the the frozen people to the Enterprise and they want a Wall Street Journal, it's like kind right. of funny, but it doesn't really, doesn't play the same way. See, the, I, I thought the solution was, or one of them was, that it was a question of tone, which kind of gets into what you were talking about. Like I joke often on this show that I like the fact that everybody on Star Trek is this straight-laced kind of priggish nerd you know they're playing the cello all the time they're reading Shakespeare right yeah and, and there's a there's a level of remove to the characters in the Federation they're enlightened and they seem kind of almost alien to 21st or 20th century humans they've gotten rid of TV and and presumably trash culture and I like that for my Star Trek heroes like in their bright future but I'd imagine that that no doesn't leave any room for like Alf you know or, or something like that yeah <laughs> Yeah, uh yeah, no, totally. I I mean, I think I think the fish out of water thing is is 
is kind of what I was talking about. Yeah, that those those stories are some of the funniest stories because we're not changing the characters, you know. Yeah, yeah. We're taking them and putting them in a situation where they're funny to us, but they mm-hmm. don't even know that they're being funny. Yeah. Like yeah, like you said, Star Trek Four, like Chekhov asking for nuclear vessels, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, right. or or Spock diving into the uh, the the whale tank, like. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's funny to us because we're kind of seeing it from a different perspective. And I think they do that a lot on all the Star Treks. I think they all have funny episodes or, or funny stories where they where they just shift that perspective a little to to change the show, but not change the you know, the, you can't change the the sort of central seriousness of the characters themselves. Yeah. Yeah, there's. No, I feel like we never see. We don't really know what their entertainment is like in the 24th century because we know they got rid of TV. Um, yeah. they've got the holodeck, which people joke about. You know, the kind of things you can do with the holodeck. But I mean, you really could do anything with a holodeck. Um, but we never see like any like comedy shows. We never see any comedians in the 24th century. Like, I wonder if anybody yeah knows what the institution of comedy is. You know, there, well, there's. there's funny, the only thing I could think of was there's that episode, like there's an early TNG episode where like Data creates Joe Piscopo on the holodeck. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes of all people. Yeah. So there, he like you can create anyone on the holodeck. He could have, you know, he could have gotten the Marx Brothers or yeah, you right. know, anybody, but yeah. he gets this kind of like Carl Reiner. No. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Piscopo. <laughs> uh, he gets he gets the holographic Joe Piscopo playing this kind of like hacky Vegas stand up yeah. to teach him what comedy is like that. That on, on its on its own kind of makes you wonder if the, the people running the show really get what comedy is. Yeah. (laughs) And in, in that episode, that's the B plot. I think the A plot is that, uh, the rocketeer is on board and he's this right, rakish yeah. character and he's gotten somebody pregnant or something. So like the whole show is kind of a wash. Uh, before he gets to Joe, uh, when Data's talking to the holodeck, he asks the ship's computer who the funniest comedian is. And the computer says that it's uh, like Stan Ariga, who's a guy who specializes in jokes about quantum mathematics. And that's like a <laughs> that's a bleak outlook on comedy in the future. It's a comedy dystopia. Even Data says oh, that's too esoteric. I need uh, Joe Piscopo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the opposite totally. of that. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, do you ever see any other examples of like people watching or enjoying a piece of entertainment and are laughing because they would do plays on the Enterprise and yeah, in the next generation. Yeah. But they're doing like Shakespeare tragedies. They're not doing Oscar Wilde or Neil Simon or something like that. Yeah. It's just weird. There's, there's plenty of characters on Trek shows that are kind of smart asses. I don't know if that's like their version of like a funny guy. Uh, And there's characters who are, who are actually genuinely funny. Like they're meant to be funny to the audience, but they're always characters who are like universally reviled in the show. Like Q can be very funny, right? Um, and uh, and Luxana Troy can be funny, but like those whenever are, they yeah. show up, all the characters those on are board the two are like, characters Ugh. that I thought of with TNG certainly, and yeah, because they're like specifically, you know, opposing uh, the 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 sort of seriousness, like uh, like Q, you know, Starfleet's like all rules, right? It's all rules, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. all regulations. That's what's most important. So Q is like this kind of anarchist, you know, who believes in nothing and <laughs> has yeah. godlike power. So he's, you know, bringing that kind of uh, And it's so, character. it's antithetical to what they want to do. It's, it's like, exactly. we, can't, we can't be funny. We can't, we're, we're looking in this one direction. We can't stop doing that. Get out of here. And Loxana Troy too, I, I haven't watched, 
many of her episodes recently. I don't know how they hold up in terms of the humor now, but like that's the same kind of thing. Like 90% of the episodes, the characters are like keeping their emotions in check and being completely reserved and not saying what they mean. And so right. you introduce a character who can read everybody's mind and says everything that's on her mind and right. you, you know, you disrupt the the uh the sort of balance of the ship in a comedic way. Yeah. Her yeah, the humor that she adds is specifically like violating the the mores of of shipboard life or 24th century life. As far as I can tell, Tom Paris is probably the main character of a Trek show who's most meant to be a quote unquote funny guy, you know, in the world of the show. Yeah. And he amounts mostly to like a wise ass who just makes snide comments about whatever's on the view screen. Yeah. Yeah. I guess he's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I mean, but even like his thing, like speaking of holodeck things, like his holodeck thing was like those old timey serials. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which weren't especially funny, but it was kind of funny seeing them interact (laughs) with them, I guess. Yeah, it's more just an absurdity, uh, you know, a visual absurdity or an absurdity of having like future characters who want to play in this archaic version or vision of the future. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's pretty cerebral. Okay, I'll smile at that, but it's not like laugh out loud funny. Um, I think that whenever characters in Trek try to talk specifically about comedy, it's not exactly hilarious stuff. They're often talking about pulling p- practical jokes on each other, and the jokes are, are just lame. They're like, <laughs> they're like, yeah, wow, you really got them. Like, there's a thing where right. um, Wes is being picked on at the Academy, and somebody um, rigs his shower to spray mud on him. It's like, right. okay, all right, that's, that's real conceptual when you think about it. He's there to get clean, but it sprays mud on him. And then he gets somebody back by making some component that the guy's working on spray chili sauce on him. Yeah, I bet a lot of Star Trek characters think they're funny. Like, I bet Tom oh, Paris sure. thinks he's hilarious. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or I bet I bet Commander Riker thinks he's funny, but he's yeah. not really funny. And Tom Paris loves, like, the 20th century, right? So I'd love to see him, like, replicate, you know, comic strip live and then, like, do an open mic night or something like that and have everybody right. <laughs> come up and tell jokes <laughs> or something. Maybe that's a little too involved, but... Yeah, I That's just what, like, yeah. Instead of having plays in ten forward, they should be having open mic nights. Yeah, he's just doing comedy night. Yeah, he's got his trunk full of uh, prop uh, comic stuff. Um, I really wonder if it's a side effect of the show's premise, like we talked about tone before. But there's also the idea that you know, like you mentioned, they're really doing important work. They're exploring the galaxy. They're maintaining this post scarcity utopia. There's no time for laughs here. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. That that's a big part of it. I I think. I, I'm trying. I, I there was maybe more of a lighthearted tone in the original series, certainly. Yeah, for sure. But but again, you have like you have Spock, like the most serious character on the bridge. So like, if the other characters are being taking things slightly less seriously, it's usually in contrast to him. Yeah, and it's not. I guess it's kind of funny. Is it funny? <laughs> I don't know. It's I kind think... of it's kind of racist when you think about it. Oh boy! <laughs> so well, I was just like, it's, it's, it's laughter, you green-blooded fool. Different, yeah, you son of a bitch. Uh, you know, the thing about like TOS is there were a couple specifically designed to be comedic episodes, like the Trouble with Tribbles, yeah, um, a piece of the action, and those were pushed by 
uh, the showrunner Gene Kuhn, who really wanted to see it be more funny. And Gene mm. was like, Star Trek can't be funny for the reasons that we have stated on this show. But there's something else about like the people who were making Trek at that time, like TOS, they were cutting it from whole cloth. Like nobody knew what Trek was at that time. Yeah. And so if you've got a writer, he's he just got off of Gunsmoke, you know, or The Rifleman or something like that. And the way that they pushed those writers out back then is, you know, you've got a central conflict, you've got a little drama, you've got some some clever lines and some humor, and that's an hour of TV. And so I think they were just making Trek that way. So there's a lot of great exchanges between Bones and Spock and McCoy and the finding ways to you know, like you said, have the the characters bounce off of each other because of their particular traits, or you know, or peccadillos. Yeah, um, and that continue- and I think there are a lot of funny character based mm-hmm. jokes or episodes. Like I, I mentioned to you in an email, like an episode I genuinely think is funny, and maybe I'm in the minority, but uh, Cupid, like the one where they're sent to, to into like a Robin Hood fantasy. Yeah, in the end, like the way that the crew are trying to to kind of inhabit that world is funny to me. Yeah. Worf being so upset about everything is funny. <laughs> and then smashing Jordy's loot for no reason and apologizing yeah. immediately yeah. afterwards. Yeah. That's funny to me. I, I Maybe it's stupid. I haven't watched it. I mean, it it's an while. Animal House bit, but yeah, it is, yeah. It is funny. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to think of like that episode as being more silly than funny. Like there's the whole, why would Q make them Robin Hood and the Merry Men or whatever? There's um, no reason. I mean, no, I mean, it's a silly premise, but it is full of like little good little bits that are like yeah. standalone funny. I was reading an article um, in preparation for this on Star Trek dot com and it's it's titled The 15 Funniest Episodes of Trek. And of course, this is just one writer's opinion, but I, I was kind of bleak. Um, right. <laughs> you know, they, they called out T- for TOS. They called out, you know, Tribbles and Piece of the Action. Um, they did th- the first episode for TNG they mentioned was Data's Day, which it's not oh, all that funny. No. And it's also season four. Like they, they it took to season four before a funniest episode came up. I would have put the big goodbye on there, which is yeah, very I was just going to say some of the holodeck episodes. Yeah. Are kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, it's just, again, it's like examining that idea of, okay, these are like perfect human beings from the 24th century. Now let's put him in like a thirties detective novel and Dr. Crusher, you know, chews and swallows the chewing gum the guy gives her you know these sort of like you know dramatic irony bits like we know more than they do right it's 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 funny and it's also it's in it's funny in kind of an endearing way too that like even just the idea that captain picard who is this you know he's so austere and dignified and 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 literate but then he also has this side of him that enjoys these kind of he likes trashy novels yeah exactly yeah yeah. like that's that's kind of a funny premise uh for that character yeah uh yeah what was what else was on that list well there was a couple more for tng um cupid was on there uh rascals was on there which is like yeah that's that's not that no (laughs) (laughs) that's what i was gonna say is actually like taking what i was talking about that works and going too far with it like it's good to kind of undercut the seriousness of the show to a certain extent with characters but like that is just such a broad in my opinion such a broad story and it gets so goofy yeah that it's I an think attempt it goes too to, far in the other direction yeah it's an attempt to be really funny uh and it comes off as like eh, it's cute i guess i i think i wrote about this once on cracked have you ever talked about the fact that 
the kid who plays young Picard and Rascals is also the kid who played his uh, his nephew in Family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which makes me wonder if the show is trying to imply that Captain Picard was was secretly the uh, the father. Oh, of, you know, had an affair with uh, with his sister in law. Oh, I, I was just thinking it was the frugality of uh, Paramount's casting office. But yeah, that, that's yeah. really, I never thought <laughs> no, about I, that see, before. My, my theory is that is that he had an affair with his sister-in-law. And that's, that's also adds to why he's so upset in Generations. Yeah, he's just devastated. Die. There will be no more Picards. Oh my God. Yeah. Or it's that, you know, they all had Rolodexes and that was the only child actor they had. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, a nephew can look like, you know. Oh, vehicle. certainly. That's fine. Yeah. But I, I, I like to I like to imagine in my head canon that that's what, what was secretly going on. <laughs> this kid's good. He can fake a British accent. Get him back in here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for DS9, uh, the first episode that they pick is Trials and Tribulations, which is a season five episode. Oh, and wow. It, it's funny, but it's like derivative of, you know, the, the original episode. And they also bring out "Take Me Up uh, to the Hollow Suite," which fair play. That's that's a funny episode. Yeah, and that's great, like character based comedy yeah. again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the problem in this exercise is, especially for DS Nine, is trying to peg funny episodes as a whole because there are so many funny moments in any number of DS Nine episodes. Any Quark and Ron bit is going to be good, or Quark and Odo, or Garrick yeah. and anyone. Like there's yeah. just some incredibly talented comedic performers who are doing great stuff in the margins, but there's nothing. And we're just having a general discussion about Trek and comedy. So maybe here's a big success. But when you try to look at like the funniest episodes, not a lot of DS9 episodes are going to be on that list. I don't think. Well, it's such a grim setup. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, the setup is they're on like a, like a space Nazi yeah. <laughs> station basically, you know, and, and, at the start of the show, no one wants to be there. It's a depressing, horrible place. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's it's a you know, and a lot of the show you know takes place with this backdrop of war. Like it's, it's it's a a darker series. But like like you said, like it allows for those moments of of levity to kind of bubble up from that uh, from that backdrop and and that makes it all the more impactful i think yeah when you have like the banter between odo and quark or 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 any of the or like the baseball episode is a perfect example it's and it's, it also works as like as as a great reliever of tension like yeah. i i came to ds9 well not late because i remember watching like the pilot when it aired but i i as a kid i didn't get into it the same way I did other Star Trek. So I, I watched it much later after it had all finished as an adult and, and, you know, kind of binge watched it. And, and some of those episodes are so heavy, like, like having those little bits of humor or lighthearted stories. Yeah. Like really are effective at just like, yeah, like, like taking that tension away for a little bit. So you don't burn out on anxiety watching the series. Yeah. And having a kid, maybe having a character like, Quark, who uh, does get involved in the drama sometimes, but he's you know nominally there as a comedic character. Maybe that forced them to try to think more comedically. So when you're doing your breakdown and it's like, okay, what's this opening going to be, or what's this? We need an extra scene. Um, you're thinking, okay, well we've got Quark, and we yeah, can do. Yeah. He's having a comedic interaction with somebody. He's trying to build somebody out of something, or he's he's having a scheme that Odo catches him doing. Whereas on TNG, you would just have to go, well, Riker's going to be funny this week. 
Right. <laughs> He's going to try to be funny. If we can manage that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think uh, I, I was also trying to like put together like a list of what like moments I thought were trying to be funny that that don't work. Like like how often do they try humor and and not succeed? And yeah. and I would argue like quirk aside because I, I do like quirk as a, a character a lot um but i think when they introduced the ferengi they were supposed to be funny and a <laughs> yeah. lot of yeah a lot of the ferengi based episodes for the most part i think are supposed to be funny yeah and i i don't think they're they're funny mm. i think i think there's i think they did interesting things with them some of the time there are some good episodes and yeah. quirk like like we said is a great character but i think that they they're they're not funny yeah, um, I think once you have like ongoing characters like the Nagus, uh, played by Wallace Shawn, uh, or yeah. well, well, Brent, he's great. Yeah. you know, or like the ongoing character on, on DS Nine, but yeah, like Menage uh, Troy, the episode of uh, TNG where they get kidnapped and the guy wants to marry them or whatever. Um, yeah, those especially are, what? Yeah, watching it rough. now too, it's especially rough because yeah, like, they're, they're these hilariously like money grubbing misogynists who yeah. you know don't let women wear clothes. Yeah, what? <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, um, there's an episode uh, called "The Ascent" of DS DS Nine that I really enjoy, and it's the one where Cork uh, and uh, Odo crash land on a planet. And this is where Odo is uh, solid. He's not, you know, a yeah. changeling at this point. And they basically have to get to the top of this mountain and survive. And it's this sort of odd couple bickering, you know, they hate each other, but they need each other. But maybe they do really love each other. And they say it's based on, <laughs> I'm waiting for Godot, famously hilarious play, uh, Waiting for Godot. But that's just, that's an example of like, how do we get these, we'll put these characters up on Mount Whitney and just watch them bounce off of each other and get a lot of humor out of it. And that's the kind of humor, when Trek does succeed, I think that's usually what it is. It's when it's taking these characters and like find, finding the little uh, nooks and crannies and ways that they can bump up against other characters and not just like, you know, we're just doing a, doing a bit or doing a joke or something. Yeah, totally. And yeah, that that's what the show does so well is like build up these characters for years and years to the point where, where you can create those moments like, like that episode where, uh, where you, you, you don't have to do a lot of heavy lifting comedically. You just have to kind of put them in a position where they're going to bounce off each other in an amusing way. Yeah. And an emotional way too with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Voyager is a series where things get a little weird. Voyager as a show, you know, it had a lot of pressure on it to be a lot of things for a lot of people when it came out. And I think the net effect was that everybody, everybody gets a little bit in here and there on Voyager. Um, you know, like we talked about the seriousness of TOS and TNG, we're exploring this, negotiating that. And I think you could rely on like a character like Sulu or Riker to say what everybody's thinking, have a little, you know, bon mot that cuts the tension. But it's like everybody on Voyager is an incurable smart aleck. Scene to scene, everybody's got <laughs> a wry reaction to everything. I actually just completed a rewatch of the show and it really added a lot of depth for me and my understanding of Voyager. I like it a lot more than I did, but I still think that you can go to some of those scenes and just have everybody get up and sit one chair to the left and say those lines. And it doesn't matter who's saying them. It's just all, everybody's just got a little snide mm. little comment to say. I, I never thought about that. I like Voyager quite a bit, but... Yeah, I see what you mean. 
But I mean, they're also, you know, they're stranded out in space. Maybe that was their coping mechanism. <laughs> it's their, their, their gallows humor. <laughs> Seven yeah. seasons of just, yeah. Well, yeah, I was trying to think about like, was there a particular episode of Voyager that was funny? And I think they're probably to do with the doctor, maybe oh, just sure. because like yeah. Robert Picardo is a comic actor. Oh, yeah. and Anytime can... they give him something, it's it's great. The only episode on this list for Voyager is Bride of Chaotica. And that's the holodeck one. It's, yeah. Yeah, Which yeah. is the one where they really dig into the uh, Captain Proton thing and get Jane involved. There wasn't there one one where he's like writing a hollow novel yes. and everyone's kind of watching themselves in the yes. like they're sort of doppelgangers. That that was funny, I thought. Yeah. And I think the one where the Walter Mitty one, the one where he's daydreaming, you know, that he's the captain and stuff, uh that one is is very oh, funny yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's some funny stuff in there. Come on, Star Trek.com. <laughs> uh just one person's opinion. Um Enterprise, uh, oh, Enterprise. Um, yeah, no, the, Enterprise is one I fell off with. I watched the yeah. first couple seasons when they aired, and I've heard, like, I have a friend that, that keeps telling me it gets really good, and I, I've been meaning to go back it and does. finish it. It really does. There's an episode that is in the, I believe, second season called Carbon Creek, and it's an episode where we learn that, um, I think, an ancestor of T'Pol's uh, crash landed on Earth in the 50s. And so these three Vulcans have to sort of lay low and integrate themselves into society, uh, but while trying to get their a Vulcan rescue ship or something like that. And it's about how they are, they're the Vulcan fish out of water in 50s water. And so right. it's it's not really funny. I'm not sure why it's on this list. It's, it's actually kind of touching um, because they form these connections with the humans that they didn't expect to make. But... That's not really what I would call like, you know, a laugh riot. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm judging these too harshly. I just have to, you know, lower the bar for such a serious show. But um, are you familiar with a lot of the CBS Trek shows? I I watched all of Picard. Uh-huh. Uh, I actually did. Me and my friend uh, Cena did a like a recap podcast for Picard. Oh, cool. But uh, we <laughs> we we didn't like it very much, so it it, yep. it goes well, down a dark path in terms of does it? our frustration. <laughs> but I, I I still you know it's it's still worth listening to unless you like really loved it and don't want what to what's it called? It. It's called uh, T Earl Grey Hot Take. Okay, and, oh uh, well, that's great. You can find it on uh, on you know podcasting things. But I I mean like I I also I'm not so down on it that sure I'm, you know I'm not excited to see where it goes i think sure. there's there's potential there but yeah, uh yeah. the uh i watched that and i've watched the beginning of discovery i didn't super latch onto discovery but also like i you know i know they've changed showrunners a lot so i've i've also been considering diving back in and 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 watching it all i, I yeah. don't know what, what do you think of it i think i, I don't know if you're gonna like what you see <laughs> if you don't like because i think the first season was probably the strongest. The second season is, I don't know, it's just kind of chaotic and they're, they're doing something else. But I thought the first season, because, you know, Star Trek for 50 years was just Captain's Log, Problem, Credits, right? And then you do something else. And there's only a slight bit of continuity. Um, and they're they're getting into this modern way of telling uh, stories now. You know, it's... Um, I, I actually think that, like, up until the advent of CBS Trek... Trek episodes and writer and Trek writer rooms were run, run in a very particular way, um, 
because TOS episodes, you know, they're specifically designed to be, like I said, the way TV was in the 60s. Uh, and now Discovery comes along and they want to do ser- all TV storytelling is serial now, even if it's yeah. like the Vampire Diaries. You know, there's going to be some problem, but also what's up with the vampire hunters or something. And we're, we're always tracking some kind of thing. And they've had a hard time, I think, taking that on. And you see that in Picard, which is just a 10 hour movie that's just cut off into like one hour sort of Tootsie Rolls. That you're supposed to like sort of absorb. Yeah. Uh, Discovery does a great job, I think, in having a season long arc and then also having little standalone stories. Season two, it's kind of like Picard. It's just sort of breathlessly running from like, you know, hour to hour. So it's kind of rough. I had a similar, we have a, um, a recap podcast called Discoverage because we started watching Star Trek Discovery, but now right. we're covering all the other um, CBS Trek. And we did Picard and it was the same thing. You can go from episode one to episode 10 and just watch the smiley face turn into a frowny face. Yeah. <laughs> and like our last couple episodes were just like an intervention, basically like what, what, help us what is going on um okay, well, i'm glad to hear you say that because i definitely like heard a lot of the opposite like yeah. some people who are loving it were yeah we're not impressed with our takes but you know i i think that like that serialization like you said is is part of the problem because i i could see how the story of picard could work as like one episode like the three-act structure of like okay you start with this and you go here and then it ends yeah. with with this like I, I could see the story it felt very padded out and that was a show that was so dark in tone and so you know obviously very consciously trying to move in a different direction than yeah the next generation but it too had some attempts to be funny and <laughs> like there was one episode where they the one where they meet seven and they all dress up in like wacky costumes and Picard wears an eye patch yeah. and it's like I guess this is kind of funny but also why like why like he's not unrecognizable with an eye patch why wear an eye patch it's yeah yeah he was just on like space fox news the other day which I'm sure somebody yes. has you know has seen here but yeah, yes yeah space fox, that's the, yeah space fox in the, news in the galaxy yeah yeah, I uh, I don't know. The thing that I've talked about before um, with the characters being sort of strange and, you know, godly and removed from like our, our current time, they're just not going to go with that anymore. That's gone. So like people are calling each other dude and they're talking about how much they like the monkeys or whatever. Um, it's been hard for me to <laughs> it's been hard for me to to assimilate that, if you will, watching <laughs> New Trek. Um, but also you can't mine the fish out of water stuff anymore because if everybody is just cool and they all have vinyl records and you know it, their future yeah. is just like ours except with laser beams you've you've lost that the, the thing that we've been saying is the most successful uh, comedy that you can get out of star trek they've lost that now so yeah. like, what do you do you you're absolutely right yeah I, I yeah totally i i think that's you know part of part of what's hard to recognize in some of these new treks. Like I, I, we haven't talked about it yet, but it's kind of the elephant in the room is the, the new one, the lower decks. Uh, oh yeah. We'll, we'll show, get there. Yeah. Which is a straight up comedy. Yeah. We'll obviously get there, but uh, you're absolutely right. Like there is something. I, I don't, it's weird because so often with these 
franchises like a star trek or you know a star wars star wars is a great example because like (laughs) star wars fans are so divided between you know trying to expand what a star wars movie is and and you know arguably like sticking too close to a formula like and i fall more in the camp of like expand it like change it up like oh try yeah. something new yeah but then on the other hand i find myself with star trek kind of making the opposite argument like saying like oh well this doesn't really feel like star trek and then you know and but i i also want to interrogate that thought and be like well why doesn't it and why shouldn't it take risks and yeah so i i and i haven't fully reconciled that yet like i it doesn't feel like Star Trek to me, a lot of the new stuff, but I don't want to be the guy that says that that the shows they like or the franchises they like can't evolve over time. You oh, know? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, I'll give you this. Star Trek is funnier than Star Wars. Like, Star Wars is not funny. Um, right. Well, there's some fact, funny stuff. In, there are, there's some uh, funny stuff, but yeah. But in fact, they like did a whole animated show, uh, Star Wars Detours, that they just just tanked like they just right. they just yeah, put yeah. it away and it didn't even come out um it should, could come out still i hope it does um but yeah like having the characters just act like normal people now i'm okay with that because i think in a lot of ways trek is constantly held down by older trek you know voyager mm-hmm. i think of voyager as the first like trek fanfic series because it's ostensibly and it's got a premise where they have to get home but it's ostensibly an attempt to return to this sort of week-to-week storytelling of tng and tos but everything is just like a ferengi thing did this or a you know vulcan thing was this and they're just they're weighed down it's like memory alpha the show they're weighed down by the continuity and so if we're going to go to a whole new universe where people you know like Allison pill is eating red velvet cake or whatever okay right. <laughs> I'm on board because I think that Trek needs to shred 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 uh shed it's it trek trekky past but I haven't seen a lot <laughs> really come out of that uh, yeah. just yet yeah that's the thing if you're going to change things up it needs to be for a reason that makes sense and isn't just for the sake of changing it up. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say, I would argue like one thing that's felt weird for me about where it goes. And I think this kind of ties into the humor that we think works about it is I like the idea that the ship that's the sort of the central ship feels like a safe place mm-hmm. and you can do a lot of creepy things. You can go to a lot of, dangerous areas but but the idea of having the like you know when i was a kid i wanted to live on the enterprise you know like that (laughs) that feeling and but in the like in discovery like in the first episode there you learn they're like keeping monsters yeah there is a dungeon on this ship yeah (laughs) and the captain's evil yeah and and like uh, i would not i wouldn't want to spend 10 minutes on that ship you know (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. so and and even in like in the newer movies like you know like the enterprise keeps getting destroyed yeah Uh, so (laughs) i i think i i think that there is a fundamental you know uh a fundamental thing about this kind of like safe welcoming place that you can use as a jumping off point to tell different stories. I mean, you can even tell stories where like the people that you trust are straight up trying to murder you one week because they all like are playing like 
uh, sex game that Riker brought back from Ryza. Like, I mean, you can do creepy stuff in there, but yeah. I, I don't know. Like, there's something that's very humor killing about your very environment being uh, being unsafe. Yeah. I do think that really works for the first season of Discovery, though, because there is this sense that, you know, your main character is did something horrible and the arc of the show is is her, um, you know, redeeming herself and then saving, you know, the galaxy. But right. having the very ship, the kind of thing where, you know, there's a million shots like this in TNG where Picard will you know, when nobody's looking, will lovingly caress, you know, the railing of the bridge or something like that. You know, the idea that this is our home, our our steed, our noble steed. And having, like, the very ship be perverted, you know, and and paranoid and and monstrous. It it flies on spores and nobody really understands it. Right. (laughs) That's really, I think that was really great for that season. But then you have to kind of get rid of that. And now it's like, we can run our hand on the thing and be like, oh, this is our, our steed. And like it doesn't, it, the par- paranoia pers- persists into season two. Um, Picard is like all paranoia. Like I'm not one of yeah. these people that says that like what happened to the great vision of the future. I think Star Trek always reflects our times, and so we're not happy <laughs> right now. And so Star Trek's maybe not going to be happy. But I don't understand like the relentless um, nihilism that seems to be present in uh, CBS Trek. Totally. I mean, I mean, I, I though I do say I, like not to get too political, but like I mean, the uh, you know, the, there is a kind of very like left leaning idea behind Star Trek. Like it presents yeah. this future mm-hmm. where uh, you know it's very progressive. Like money has been abolished. You know, in the in the first season of Next Generation, like men are are wearing skirts, and it's and no one even comments on it. Like it's, <laughs> right. it's a very progressive thing, and that came out you know during like the Reagan and Bush years. When yeah. that first aired. So I think there is, you know, as much as I think it, 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 you know, it's okay to reflect our world. But on the other hand, Picard could have told a story that uh, that maybe nudged our world in a direction in a different direction or showed us an alternate version of, of you know, how we could deal with similar problems. Yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah, like Picard, like it was dark, but I, I don't know if I needed like an admiral to like literally tell him to, you know, go F himself. I don't know if you can say that for it on <laughs> yeah, the show, yeah, but, yeah. Like, but like they say it multiple times in this. I, yeah. I, and I, I don't want to tell them that they can't do that in the story because you don't want to sort of like, you know, put a ceiling on your storytelling, but it was sure. just, it was so conscious of the fact that it was trying to be edgy and and dark and yeah they're watching the youtube video Star that, Trek. they're watching the uh, youtube video that makes you tear your face off or whatever and everybody has to watch this thing yeah and and the, you know the other thing talking about like the rules of trek and and uh you know and breaking those rules like i i mean you know very famously like gene roddenberry wouldn't let them tell a story where like starfleet or the government was in any way corrupt because yeah. it would sort of yeah. Uh, it would sort of nullify this idea of a utopian future. Yeah. And like that's why like you didn't get those kinds of stories till after he died. So you like you don't want to put too you don't want to put it in a box because we had that before. I and read it an, didn't work. I read an article or saw a video or something. Um, I'll have to look it up again. But that talked about how we talk about how it's like luxury gay space communism, but it's really like a post capitalist society like the way uh we see tng and like you said it was in reagan's 80s but i think it's seen as the end result of 
trickle down economics and like just following that path. Right. And once we have everything has trickled down and then now everybody has everything they need and it doesn't at all uh, realistically represent the kind of revolutions we'd have to go through to get to something like that. Yeah, but then so again, like everything will just work out fine. Yeah, just keep letting end. us yeah. do this and then we'll all have our spaceships, yeah. Um, well, that's so what I mean, like I, I think Picard, you know, Picard like, you know, tell a story where there's like a violent revolution to yeah. <laughs> some, like do something, you know, interesting that, that yeah. it's not just like everything's, shit, you know, everything's crappy. That's the funny uh, thing because like Picard takes place and it, you know, the whole concept was, is it would take place outside of the Federation. We wouldn't deal with the Federation necessarily, but it starts with a big thing happening to the Federation. And I know that Picard is, you know, withdrawn in his, in his dotage, but he's still going to care about what's going on in the Federation. And I just, you know, when you watch older Trek, you get the idea that there's just something in the water in the Federation where everybody is kind of civic minded and they're all concerned about doing the right thing. And that went somewhere. And I'm not saying as like a crabby viewer saying, I want everybody to be nice. I want to know as a big fan of Star Trek and and Picard, what happened? Like, why is everybody mad? Why is everybody crabby now? Um, and hopefully yeah. they'll explore that in season two. Who knows? I, I think the other thing about all of this, like, seriousness that we've been talking about, or, you know, like the, the kind of the the way the, the characters are kind of drawn in most Star Treks, like, the other problem with it is that when it when it generates laughs, more often than not, they're unintentional ones. <laughs> because it's it's also a very sincere show. Yes. So like when they're super sincere and super serious, but they're committing to a premise that maybe doesn't work as well, like it, it will yeah. generate yeah. generate humor that it it that wasn't totally intentional. Like uh, when I was emailing with you about the show, like the other one, the other big one, the the episode that I've mined probably more uh, for comedy than any other is is the one where Doctor Crusher has has the uh, meets the uh, erotic Scottish ghost alien. Yeah. Yeah, what uh, and is brought is, is brought to climax by a like an amorphous green cloud. Yeah, uh, blazing Bev. Yeah, um, which is which is kind of amazing on one hand because you know like a lot a lot of mainstream Hollywood stories like don't focus on like female sexuality well, at all in the same way. So it's kind of great. True. Yeah. But on on the other hand, it's a goofy, terrible episode. <laughs> it Star Trek was progressive even in that way. What I watched that recently, uh, just to sort of get it back in my mind. And uh, oh god! Uh, but no, um, what the, what strikes me the most is like I feel like the director or just the people in the production really sold out Gates McFadden because she's. <laughs> It, she's really trying. For some reason, this week, Star Trek is going to be a gothic horror show instead of a sci-fi show. And you know right. what? That's fine. It's got, you know, we had uh, the cat's paw, you know, with the giant cat in TOS. But like, she's really going for it. But yet it comes off so awkward. And I just, and there's and there's such long takes where she has to talk to nobody and like yeah. <laughs> be in, in, you know, knock everything off a table and uh, be, being in these paroxysms of passion. And it's like, if you just like cut this together a little more, you can make your look a, a lot better. Well, um, even it's, it starts being funny 30 seconds in because 30 seconds in, you learn that there's a whole planet that's just Scotland, planet Scotland. where they just recreated <laughs> Scotland. Yes. Like that's already funny. Yeah. 
And then the old guy who's like, stay away from that candle. Yeah. <laughs> just so like stock characters start showing up. Yeah. And it's all, she's not even like having this affair with this like green cloud ghost guy. It's also the guy that like she knows about because he seduced her grandmother. Yeah. Which is also kind of gross and funny. When yeah. <laughs> when you think about it's it. It's Dracula from Monster Squad. Yeah. And he's here for yeah. your grandma. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. And, you know, this was like the seventh season. So I think at this point they were just like, yeah, sure. Just give me what you got. Let's try some stuff. But um, I don't think that Trek has gone back to Trek. This also doesn't do horror a lot. I think we've actually talked about this on the show previously, but um, it's hard to be scared by ghosts when you can, you know, get a tricorder out and just go, yeah, it's not a ghost. It's a energy being or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember being scared by a lot of episodes of next generation when I was a kid, uh, you know, the, the, what was the name of the episode where they're all having just like weird daydream visions and Dr. Crusher sees all the corpses sitting up at one point. Oh yeah. Yeah. That yeah, is a, that, that haunts me to this day. That yeah, scene. That's a very like stark image. Yeah. It, it, it yeah. Cause I mean, you know, that's interesting that you bring that up because that's kind of like the polar opposite of comedy. Like, like how well do they do horror? And I would say they do horror better than comedy. Like I can yeah. think of a few like pretty creepy episodes, pretty scary episodes. And I can't off the top of my head. I wasn't able to think of like some really funny episodes. Trek is one of those weird recipes, I guess that just does itself really good. But doesn't always mix well with other stuff. Um, the data, I find the data cowboy episode just interminable. Yeah, me too. I I don't like, I feel like that episode must have been created by Brent Spiner's agent. <laughs> or it's just possibly, like, look, the show's possibly. ending soon. And yeah. really, we really want to show to producers that he and can I, do other stuff yeah. other than data. <laughs> He's such a good actor. And like, it, I'm sure that a lot of people don't realize that it's really tough to play somebody with no emotions who is a robot or whatever. But And he does that so well week to week. But I, I feel like I can feel every episode or every season we get an episode where Brent Spiner gets to be a hologram character or play Dr. Soong or something and like yeah, stretches, yeah. stretches muscles a little bit. Um, we have not talked at all about the films, <laughs> any of the films or specifically the TOS films, which I think everybody agrees um, are fairly successful or fairly funny. Definitely successful. Yeah. I was trying to think about that. What are they? I mean, yeah. Four is funny. Yeah. Uh, there's that part in five where Scotty bangs his head. Yeah. Five was really going for it. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes hits. I think there's a lot of funny things in six. Um, I think there's funny things in two yeah. and I'm not sure if it's just the, the natural, like, Hey, this is a, you know, big budget American movie. We're going to hit all four of these quadrants. Like you can't just have, we learned specifically on the first on Star Trek, the motion picture that this can't just be. You know, mood spelled backwards is doom here. This can't just be right. one yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, in, in six, there's like a straight up like getting punched in the junk joke. Yeah, there's a nut shot, Joe, a knee shot joke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, uh, yeah, which is who's the alien who gets? Yeah, is it Kirk? That I don't. Kirk, know, I haven't seen him. He's wrestling. Uh, yeah, like a giant uh, guy in the in the prison that they're in, yeah. and. In six is also like six is about that. I mean, two is about them getting old, but they go back to that in six that they're getting old. And it, yeah. it's not afraid to, you know, poke holes in the myth of Captain Kirk, you know, or just that the fact that they're these amazingly accomplished guys, but they're still just, you know, people 
basically. Yeah. Um, Six is about how like how Kirk is crazy racist. Yeah, apparently, yeah, we, we didn't know this. I mean, I know that like he, Klingons killed this kid, but geez. That's like, that's like Liam Neeson logic. Like, this Klingon didn't kill your kid. I like, want you to listen to me, yeah. Don't yeah. be a jerk about it. <laughs> Uh, we, you mentioned it before. I think we should probably talk about it because it's really the most Trek-focused uh, comedy thing uh, that I can think of right now. That's, of course, the premiere of Lower Decks. Um, I was uh, researching for this show, and I was trying to Google and search for Star Trek comedy, Star Trek funny. And I got to say, the last year or so, it's been really tough to search for funny things that are Star Trek that don't have to do with Lower Decks. It's all lowered. All the search results are Lower Decks right. at this point. Um, interestingly, Googling specifically, in quotes, Star Trek is not funny, gives you exactly two results. One is from a review of the shooting script for the pilot of Enterprise. The guy just didn't like it. And the other is from a, it's a Google Books link from a self-help essay that, starts rating the humor in different sci-fi series for some reason. It's only oh. 33 pages long, but apparently there's enough room to just opine on the hilarity of different sci-fi series. So, yeah, people are... Uh, the conversation in Star Trek about comedy is currently focused on Lower Decks. Um, did you get to see the pilot of Lower Decks? I did, yeah. Yeah, I did watch that. Um, I, I mean, it's hard to judge from one episode. Like... Yeah, I, I kind of want to see where it goes, and I'll, I'll I'll keep watching it. But it it definitely was a weird mesh. Like it it feels like it feels like a lot of kind of Star Trek parodies are kind of like lighthearted parodies, like a like a Galaxy Quest you know type of thing, like a, a loving hmm. uh, you know bit of fun. Uh, but it was weird to see it like operating inside of the Star Trek franchise. Yes. If that makes sense. Yes. Like it, it, that felt like a weird fit to me because it, it completely jettisons that thing we were talking about that, that has so defined Trek, which is that sense of like, everything is serious and everything is dignified, which I understand is like the, the premise of the show is like, these are the people that you don't see during all that. Like these yeah. are the people working behind the scenes while the, the sort of captains and everybody are, are having those moments of, of, uh, of self seriousness. But yeah, but, but having it be like an official Star Trek thing is a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. I, we, we covered this on my, um, on Discovery as well. I, I was not really impressed with the first episode um, and I just chalked it up to, yeah, this is not my style of humor. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't really put my finger on it. And I was reading an interview with Mike McMahon and series star Tony Newsom that was on CNET. And in it, they're talking about the process of writing the show and how they approach it. And there's an interchange between McMahon and Newsom. And he, he asks her, you know, what's our number one rule when we're writing uh, for Star Trek? We're doing Star Trek jokes. And the answer to that question was, we don't punch down on Star Trek, which blew me away because Star Trek is one of the longest running sci-fi franchises in history. Everybody right. knows Star Trek phasers, beam me up, Scotty. And their philosophy is that Trek is too sacred of a cow to take a few chunks out of like that. That colored everything for me. It's like, oh, yes, of course. This is what JM was saying. This, they're yeah. doing this in-house. There's no way for them to go to the length of a galaxy quest or even what they did in Star Trek VI where they sort of try to deflate the myth of 
of the uh, the Enterprise crew. Like that's the problem. Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it's it feels like it's a parody of, but it's a, a parody of something that it's trying to be an extension of. So it can't like. I mean, like, I I get why that's frustrating and that why why it might will probably lead to a less funny show, but. I think that, yeah, if, if they did that, like if they took shots at Star Trek, if they, if they actually satirized what is, what is when you break it down a very, you know, goofy, uh, setup that's, that can be very easily picked apart. Uh, <laughs> if, if you take the time, like if they do that, they kind of like sever their own you know they they sever a part of themselves because they're trying to be a new star trek show i don't know it's it's a weird it's a weird thing uh that it even exists i was certainly surprised that they were doing it i mean not that they're doing an animated show i i you know they did obviously like the original one yeah. uh but that was not a comedy in in the way that this is this has more like that modern sensibility i mean i was i was kind of like you were talking about with some of the other newer shows i i was yeah kind of weirded out by the characters talking in this like very modern way or just yeah like they're just uh i don't, I don't know it's hard to put your finger on but it certainly felt like it was aggressively trying to be not star trek while being star trek and i don't know if they're going to totally pull it off, but I'll, I'll keep watching and see. I think it's going to be tough to do if they're not willing to make fun of themselves. I mean, I, I think back to like, and this is going way back, but like Belushi, you know, playing Shatner on SNL and right. just the way that those skits, you know, just sort of cut into what is, you know, it's a premise that you can you can take shots at it. I don't think but I don't think the bubble's so thin that it'll pop immediately. Um, and have I, you read have you read the comic? chief o'brien at work yes yes i have that's if people haven't read that they should go check it out as john adams is the uh, cartoonist i think but that that's a great one because it's like it's obviously like a loving kind of sort of parody but it, it's just but it's picking apart the logic of the show because the the kind of whole basis of it is on Next Generation, Chief O'Brien's job entirely consists of standing at one console in a windowless <laughs> room all day just yeah. in case someone has somewhere to go. To His life must be super depressing. And, yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, that that works because it's 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 doing what perhaps Lower Decks won't, which is actually like interrogate like the ridiculousness of Star Trek when, when you think about it. Yeah. So where does that leave... Um... The Orville. Are you a fan of the Orville? Uh, I know I've watched like maybe one episode and that w- I think I watched the first episode and was surprised that I mean, I'm not a I don't like family guy very much. So I, I wasn't watching it as a Seth MacFarlane fan. I was watching it as a Star Trek fan who was curious about it. Yeah. And I, I was certainly surprised, like I think a lot of people were by how how little of a comedy it was and how much it was oh. trying to be sort of a a, uh, a a kind of funny version of that's disappointing here because i haven't seen it at all just because oh i'm doing a direct show also not really a family guy fan so i figure you know what's the point and now that i've been confronted with you know trek has got a brand new comedy bag i thought maybe i should check out what the uh, the opposition or the competition is doing, but to hear, and I've, I have heard this comment before to hear that it's 
Well, I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's really just like them TNG drag. Um, that's a real drag. <laughs> I mean, can anybody do Star Trek comedy now? If if Trek can't do it and Seth MacFarlane can't do it, I mean, Galaxy Quest did it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I don't know how Galaxy Quest did it, but it was also like the behind the scenes of Star Trek is funny, and that was so much about like behind the scenes actors and drama and stuff. Like I, <laughs> I remember going to see. Uh, uh, Shatner uh, at a Star Trek convention when I was a kid and yeah. like he told funny stories he talked about how they all hated each other he, he <laughs> talked about how uh, I think it was DeForest Kelly's dog ran into a sprinkler head and died what? and yeah, I, I looked this up like years later and, and he told the story somewhere else. So it's true. I, I, I didn't misremember this, but DeForest Kelly's dog ran into a sprinkler head, I guess was like concussed and died. And he came to work and told everybody that story. And, and uh, William Shatner laughed. And he <laughs> said DeForest Kelly didn't talk to him for like a year off camera after that. My so God. like. I mean that like the 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 idea that behind Star Trek is funny like it's this show about friendship and about like yeah. the idealism of the human race but behind the scenes like everyone hated each other they were always like arguing over contract I mean that was I, I wrote a thing on, on Cracked once about the making of Star Trek 5 like that I'm sure you know this but like the reason why William Shatner directed that was just because Leonard Nimoy directed four and yeah. like during the series, they had a stipulation in the contract that everything Leonard Nimoy got, he also got. Yeah. So he, Down to the he was contractually yeah. obligated to make a Star Trek movie because, because <laughs> yeah. they were so like petty and, and uh, ridiculous behind the scenes. So I think Star Trek behind the scenes is hilarious. And I think galaxy quest tapped into that. I don't know. Have you seen the movie, the captains, the documentary? Yeah. That I think I think that's a hilarious movie. That movie is so funny to me. Maybe that's their next step. Maybe CBS could can do a you know shit my dad says, but you know from an old Captain Kirk's perspective, you know, yeah, or from like, William Shatner's perspective. Or something William like Shatner that. is funny. Like he's probably a terrible person and not very nice. Well, for, yeah. but he's like hilarious. Like that movie. Like there's a scene. It's so unintentionally funny. There's a scene where like he wants to get a shot because he directed it of him like mulling over like the big questions in life. So he shoots oh, a scene of him like on, on, on the mountain. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's like looking at like ducklings or something. Oh, okay. okay. Like, there's a, there's a video that's uh, where he's like talking about, cause you know, they, there's the scene in uh, Star Trek five where they climb up Yosemite or, or whatever. And he's shooting this scene with the mountain in the background. He's talking about climbing rocks and he's going to make love to the mountain and <laughs> sort of thing. And it's just like, this guy is high on his own supply. Oh, yeah. And every, everything, every story you hear, I think on Star Trek Generations, like the whole reason why there's that horseback riding scene was like part of the deal for him coming back to do that story was that they had Getting to shoot horses. it on his ranch and <laughs> rent his horses from him. Uh, but yeah, the, and the captain, uh, the captain's feels like a mockumentary that, yeah. that just happens to be real. Like there's another scene where he's interviewing Kate Mulgrew and she's saying like, oh, it's really hard to be making Voyager because, you know, it was like 
uh, every day, long hours. And I was like a new mother. It was hard to be away from your kids. And he's like, totally. And he's like, you know, it makes you wonder how women can be politicians. And she's like, what? <laughs> like, like, like he <laughs> takes these weird, like old man left turns in his interviews. And he's also clearly so bothered because, he's, you know, for people that don't know, he's interviewing all the Star Trek captains. Yeah. So he's like sitting, he sits down with Scott Bakula and it goes long. So they like go out for tacos. Like he takes all this time interviewing everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's clearly still been out of shape that they recast Kirk. He spends like maybe 40 seconds interviewing Chris Pine. Oh, God. <laughs> it's amazing. It's an amazing movie. And then Avery Brooks is on kind of a whole other planet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this interview. It's it, so it's funny. It's more funny than anything in Star Trek, but it's funny because the, some of the people involved with Star Trek are funny. Yeah. The Simpsons has made a lot of uh, work out of that. Having like, people appear as themselves, you know, and then boil down to a couple comedic lines that exploits yeah. their persona or something like that. Like, I wish they could do something like that on Lower Decks. Yeah. Or, or Futurama is, is yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the Star Trek episode of Futurama is great because, because I think part of it is like so much of it is the, uh, the, the, <laughs> you know, the perspective of being a Star Trek actor and like, and, you know, dealing with fans to a certain extent. That's another famous Star Trek humor moment or like a, you know, a landmark Star Trek moment that involves humor was when Shatner hosted SNL and, you know, said, did the Star Trek convention scene where he yeah. says, you know, get a life or whatever yeah. to John Lovitz or whoever it was. I could write like a thesis about that because it's just, you know, that was the message. Clearly it was a personal message, but I'm sure as SNL writer put it in his mouth, it's sort of like this last week shot at the tsunami of fandom that we spoke about previously that was coming. And of course, nobody did get a life. And now right. many of us are making our lives out of not having lives. And so right. it's just a weird cultural moment. And it's funny that as as far in the other direction as we went as a society uh, from what he was suggesting, um, then he released a book called Get a Life. And, you know, yeah. it just turned into a whole whole thing. So... I did, yeah, I just, I mean, right there, like that's kind of Star Trek, or at least the, the the face of Star Trek, kind of making fun of Star Trek. I just wish that that Lower Decks could embrace that more, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be a thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, who knows where they could go? But oh, there's a lot of yeah, yeah there's I, a lot of places. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, from it's it feels like there's no bite to it yet. It, there's not enough there to be like an engaging Star Trek story. And it's so short. It's like, you know, 22 minutes, but yeah. there's also not enough, like, uh, yeah, and, and not enough edge to feel like a, a satirical comedy. I mean, I, there were a couple of other things I, I had in my list of, of sort of unintentionally funny outside of the world of Star Trek things. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the, do you remember the, the Star Trek, uh, I think it was called the Star Trek adventure at Universal Studios. It was it, it was uh, an attraction. I never went to it, but it was an attraction at Universal Studios where they basically used green screen technology oh, or wait. blue screen technology. Yeah, yeah. yeah I had a friend you, that did that. Yeah, yeah. Where you'd go in with your family and they'd give you all Star Trek uniforms. Yeah, and I guess right. they had like, you know, the, the captain's chair and everything. And you go in and you sit there and the, they feed you lines. So you're, you, yeah, know, you yeah. have a stand up with the Klingons. And they also put like... Uh, Kirk and McCoy, the, like the actors are in there together. interacting with them. Yeah. And so there's all, and then they, at the end of it, they give you a tape of like your family right. in a Star Trek scene. And 
there's tons of them on YouTube and they're all hilarious oh, because it's all oh like God. some awkward 13 year old kid and his parents like right <laughs> doing lines with William Shatner. Yeah. It's so awkward and cringy, but amazing. And yeah. I, I just find them hilarious. I, I remember uh, that one of my actor friends uh, went to Universal on, uh, for vacation and did his and like he was like really on like all the beats and stuff like that. And yeah. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like so I was like, wow, that's really great. But now that I know that there are awkward ones on YouTube. I've got to check that out. It's so good. Uh, the other awkward thing on YouTube that every Star Trek fan should watch is the uh, the uh, sort of commercial infomercial thing that Jonathan Frakes did in character as Riker for like a software company. Yes. Did you see that? Yeah. Yes. That is there, also hilarious. There's also, there's one where, um, I'll put links to these in the show notes too, but if I find them, um, there's one where it's the first time that TNG was coming out in like two episode VHS packs. Uh, and so the first season's coming out and they're doing a commercial that's ostensibly set at like a Star Trek con, but these people are clearly all actors. And so they're like, <laughs> tell me more. And it's like, Oh, do they have my favorite episode? Code of honor. Code of honor is nobody's favorite episode. Come on, man. That's not check. The, who wrote this script? Come on. And there's a there's like one black guy and he's like, Captain Picard is my man. Right. <laughs> Pretty rough. Yeah. There's something also. Yeah, there's fu- something funny about Star Trek fans. And, you know, like, I mean, and I say that as a Star Trek fan, but yeah. like uh, the movie Trekkies, I think, was criticized for being like, yeah, yeah. Punch, punching down. A little, yeah, like, see, that's punching down. Yeah, punching, but attacking re- the fans is punching down. I saw on Kijiji recently a guy selling. He had like every, you know, because you could buy, you know, if you ordered them from like a catalog, you could get every episode on VHS mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Next Generation. And he did that. And he had every episode of Next Generation on VHS. And I think he wanted, it was like $500 or something. God, that'd be a lot and of he was like, I, he was like, this was like, you know, over 5,000 when I bought them in, you know, 1991. So I'd like at least 500 or something. It's like, man, it's, it's 2020. Like I, I, I have all of them on Blu-ray and I got yeah. it for like $80. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all on Netflix. Like I, but that was funny to me. It was funny to me. Try that, the Smithsonian. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it, it, yeah. Like, I don't want to make fun of anyone's passion, but sometimes when, when people are, are passionate about something that is objectively funny, uh, that can be humorous. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm passionate about it too, but it's funny that someone, (laughs) the devotion of a buying every VHS tape for an insane amount of money. Yeah. Which I can, which I can understand. I probably would have done the same if I had the money at the time, (laughs) but then too, like, Thinking that they in in you know it, against all like common sense and reason, thinking that they should still get like a fair amount of money for it, thirty <laughs> years later because they spent so much money, even though technology has completely rendered that useless. Yeah, that's funny to me. So there, there's a lot of funny things around the idea of Star Trek, uh, but maybe the reason why that is the case is because Star Trek itself isn't that funny. I think the machinery behind. Um I can't remember what Alice Kurtzman's a secret hideout is his uh, production company. That's sort of, you know, in overseeing all of this. I think the machinery that exists there can't handle and is not interested in doing something like that because you see Star Trek like, or excuse me, Star Wars has like Star Wars celebration and they have all these events all the time. And I think Disney understands 
um, the passion of the fans and their connection to the material. So you often see, you know, behind the scenes stuff and people talking about how much they like it. And I don't feel like Star Trek does that really at all. But I think like, mm. you know, if you're looking for shows for CBS All Access, a CBS All Access reality show, like Star Trek reality show where, where we talk to fans and people talk about their experiences and interview people, that'd be a great idea and include, you know, all this kind of wacky, goofy stuff that you're talking about. But that, I don't think that'll happen under this regime. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's like the problem with Trekkies was like Trekkies, the movie was like mostly like, hey, look at these, look at these, look at these dumb dumbs <laughs> yeah. who, uh, who yeah. like take this too far. But like there's, a, I, I think Shatner actually like at least hosted one that was about like was a documentary just about like the people who were inspired to go into the sciences and like yeah. actually make, uh, you know, you know. Uh, contributions to the world because of Star Trek. Like, yeah, yeah totally. Like we, we should see all sides of that spectrum. Like, yeah. and, and, but that's also like, that can be funny too. Like, wow. It, it would be really funny if someone uh, cured cancer because they were inspired by something they saw in the Dr. Crusher uh, ghost sex episode. <laughs> that would, that would be both amazing and super funny to me. That would be, yeah, that would be a front page story for any newspaper in the world. I think <laughs> yeah. I forgot to, I don't think there's any way to organically put this in, but I was going to mention that Star Trek has had a lot of people on who are known for comedy. They've had like comedians on people like Andy Dick, Jason Alexander, Michael McKean. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg is the bartender. And yet every time they put comedians on, they're not funny. In fact, they're almost specifically put in like non-funny roles. Like Michael yeah, McKean was Michael the scary McKean, yeah. clown on Voyager. Yeah. And Jason Alexander is this guy who's just this emotionless you know, guy who, who steeples his fingers all the time. And so I wonder why you bring a comedy guy on, you don't have them do like comic stuff. They did that That's with Joe. That's true. They did that they with, did with Joe. Joe Piscopo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest man in the world. Yeah, but um bump. Uh, well, JM, thanks so much for joining me today to talk about Star Trek and comedy. Oh, thanks for having me. Let people know where they can find you online. You can find me uh, on Twitter at JM McNabb again. Uh, you can, uh, yeah, hear the podcast that I co-host where we rewatch movies and TV shows. Uh, it's called rewatchability. Uh, there's tons of episodes of that. You can find that, you know, anywhere you find podcasts and, uh, yeah, crack.com, uh, still have writing up there. And, uh, the daily zeitgeist, uh, is, uh, is every day or every weekday, I guess. Yeah. There's a lot of it. You can check it out. Thanks again for joining me. Yeah. Thanks so much. Hey, Trekkies, I'm Caliban. And I'm Gooey Fame. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Backtrekking. I thought that we were going to say it together. Oh, Backtrekking. <laughs> do you want to do it again? Just just don't worry about it. Every week, we look at the real-life inspirations behind classic Star Trek episodes. The original series, Next Gen, DS9, Voyager, and more. And we're examining the actual events, stories, and concepts that they're based on. Join us as we go trekking through sci-fi history. You know, we have a time machine. Let's go back and do the intro again. Hey, Trekkies, I'm Caliban. Backtracking. God damn it. <laughs>